Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Barnsley Museum's podcast. So put your feet up, make a Barnsley brew or even have a pint of John Smith's and join us for a look back at the amazing history of the Slazenger's factory in Barnsley who made amongst other sports equipment tennis balls for Wimbledon from 1946 right through to 2002. We've been working on a Slazenger's project on and off for years now, recording this important history to accumulating an exhibition at Experience Barnsley called Barnsley Serves the World, Stories from the Slazenger's Factory. We spent ages thinking about what, what title the exhibition could have um, and we finally got the name of the exhibition by seeing a float at the Lord Mayor's Parade in 1976 and along the side of the Slazenger's float that went past it said Barnsley serves the world and we thought that was the right title for the exhibition. Um, so the exhibition opens on the 9th of April through to the 8th of October 2022. The exhibition will be a bright celebration of the art of making tennis balls and other equipment. Uh, and feature film, art, sculpture, social history and a lot of activities over the summer including filling a red phone box with tennis balls uh, that might go wrong and the balls might end up uh, flying down Market Street so, so watch this space. My name is Stephen Skelly, Community Heritage Curator and we're going to start with an interview I did with poet and broadcaster Ian McMillan who needs no introduction. We're reminiscing about his surreal and fond memories of working at the factory back in the 1970s. You'll also hear more from Ian later in the podcast. I worked there from, it would be 81 to 83. It was very different to working on the building site because for a start you were indoors, very much indoors. And I remember the noise of it because they put me on this thing called the buff and dip machine, which is like a, it's hard to describe, it's like a, a cog with various round things on it and you pick up with some tweezers uh, half a tennis ball with each set of tweezers, put it buff and dip machine, they went around the back, they got dipped in something, they came back, you took them out and put them in a trolley, like, and put them in a tray like that, you did that all day. And I remember my first day, they said, uh, they're going to get on-the-job training. I said, right. And this bloke came up and he said, I said, I'm training there. I said, right. He says, this is the penny. And that would end the first day's training. He gave me a penny. I put a penny on, that was it. Second day, he went, here's the tweezers. I went, right. I was saying next Third day, that does this. That put that gets it on, and that was it. Did it all day, and it was three shifts. He did mornings, yeah. six till two, afters, and then nights. Um, there was such amazing, it was such an amazing place because you're doing that all day. You just, but then after a bit, they went, "We're going to promote you to sticking them together," which was much more physical because when you stick them together, you have to get all these. Half tennis balls that's been buffed and dipped, and you have to put them in these giant presses. They put them like the bottom half in the bottom of the press, the top half in the top of the press. It really hurts your shoulders. Then you put them down, you press for 10 minutes, and you think, oh, great, I'll have 10 minutes off. No, you can't, because the one next to you is opened up. You have to take them all out of there and put some in there. And it's like a thing. God. But then, after about six months, a fella collapsed next to me. This bloke collapsed. And then somebody else collapsed over there. And then somebody else collapsed. And it was like, I felt all right, but people going, you feel all right? I say, yeah, because I have a bit of asthma. They say, chest all right? Yeah, it's fine. Ba-dum, somebody else falls down. Crash. Somebody else falls down. People kept falling down. They didn't know why. So they said, you may as well go home. So we went home. The next day we came back. They said, we can't work out why people are collapsing. It's something to do with ventilation. So for six glorious months, perhaps less, but it feels like six months in my head, we went home. We were sent home every day, 
came back, people collapsed. We went back again. There was this, this kind of mystical time that I remember of, of being paid to Dunout. The three shifts meant that I was there for one Christmas. And at Christmas, on the other shifts, they had like big, they had a bit of a party. Because I were on nights. The, the, on nights, <laughs> what had happened was, the canteen was shut. But we all had to queue up with a tray at 2 a.m. And the shutters would open up on the canteen. There's one at Gaffer's there, in a tie, with like a bit of tinsel. Like that. <laughs> and he, he, had, he then took your tray off you, and on the tray, he put a turkey sandwich and a bun and a tin of beer that were like them jazz jam you get in hotels. He'd go, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And it was like a, a mixture of the sort of the mechanical and the kind of unworldly, because I do vividly remember this fella from Woomwell, can't remember his name, but he took me in the back room and said, we've got one of them spiders here, kid, spider from Malaya. And this big spider on rubber, this massive spider, biggest spider I've ever seen in my life, because I, I get to them every now and then. We like to let them go and scare lasses than us. It was the biggest spider you've ever seen. And when Barnsley were playing, people had gathered outside listening for people cheering. And one other very vivid memory is of somebody about to get married so they were getting married probably next day, or must be next week. And they were paraded around the factory in a wedding dress that had tennis balls hanging off it and condoms and tins and stuff. And you'd give them some money. And I have a vivid memory of that. And the more I think about it, the more I think I'm kind of embroidering that memory. But it'd be great if anybody else remembered that, this particular dress. And I've looked it up since, and it's a thing that happened a lot in factories from the 50s on, or perhaps even earlier, but there was a lot of it in the 50s. And, and this, this young woman paraded around, this, around the factory in this uh, wedding dress. Next, we hear from Gail Hames, who worked at the factory for 25 years and was also lucky to have been picked to go to Wimbledon with, with the factory. Each year, there was a raffle uh, for all the staff of the factory and a few lucky winners got to go to Wimbledon, which was a huge thing for a lot of the workers back in the day. Um, they got put up, they got given cash and they got to enjoy the atmosphere at Wim Wimbledon. This year, Gail won, so uh, over to Gail. It was buzzing because there were about over 100 girls in department and everybody spoke to everybody and there were always somebody's birthday, always somebody getting married, so there were always a do going off. We used to go to Sheffield and Leeds and everywhere and everybody just got on and mixed together. It, it was a really good atmosphere. You got a good wage from it. It gave me a good living. I had holidays every year. I had clothes nearly every week. I saved up for my own car. And, um, yeah, it was a good living. I can't remember what year it was. And uh, we got uh, centre court tickets. We got a night in hotel. We got as wages paid. Uh, the paid us bus fare and we got £40 spending money plus a day in London as well so it was great a great experience even if you're not interested in tennis it was a great experience to be there from making the balls yeah yeah seeing yeah. them being used yeah yeah it was brilliant every year 
Look north on telly used to come to the factory and film us working. I know I won a couple of them films for Look North. So when you, you started then you were covering? Yeah. And how long did you work there for? 25 years. And were you doing the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, we started off in 1971 and we did it by hand. And then in 80s, the change to machines. We had two different kinds of machines. One machine used to do about eight balls at a time, but end product weren't very good. So they stopped using that and got another machine that just did one at a time. Um, but obviously it weren't as good as what it was doing it by hand. So you still had to finish it off by hand. And it were a lot easier on your hands as well. Mm. So did you see any of the other things being made? Uh, they used to make squash balls, but that was in a different um, building to us. And uh, before it finished, they started making um, cricket bats. And when I left, it was in my 25th year, so I didn't quite get to August. And uh, this is where Friendship came in. A lot of girls that worked with me went to to company and said, I think she should get a 25 years. You know, she's left through no fault of her own. And through them speaking up for me, I got my uh, gold watch for 25 years, which I thought I weren't going to get. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. So have you got any, when you look back, have you got any, like, particular memories? Does any, like, particular people stand out? You know, I mean, it was a workplace, but it was such fun. Yeah, I know I shouldn't say this, but we, we used to play, we used to play tigs and, <laughs> and things like that. Company, they were really good because they just left you to get on with it. They knew that everybody knew what they were doing, so they left you alone to get on with, with your work. Yeah, it was a good firm to work for. And how did you feel when it closed? And it were all I knew from leaving school. That were my life, Slazingers. And it was so weird. It took me a long time to get used to not going there, especially all friends I'd made. And your husband? And my husband, yeah. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have met my husband. Now on to engineer Phil Pursley, who talks about making balls for Wimbledon for 25 years at the factory. Uh, Phil has also contributed to the film we've made about the factory, which will uh, premiere in the exhibition. So you can see him on the silver screen of Barnsley if you come and visit. Uh, the Wimbledon balls were all perfect. Um, basically, all Wimbledon balls were given to, to Wimbledon from Fazinters as a marketing expense. So they wrote it off just as a marketing expense. So they couldn't uh, risk a bad one, basically, um, for the bad publicity. Um, one year, the works manager got one, and it was a rattler. And this is from the early slashing days, where we used to put chemical pills in to, to inflate the balls. And there must have been an extra pill in, which didn't dissolve. And one of the tennis players picked it up at Wimbledon and they were there saying, you know, we've got something rattling here. There's nothing wrong with the ball, it was correct weight and, and it wasn't soft or anything like that, it was just got the extra pulling. Because of inquiry then, you know, how come we got this rattler there? 
and it it was a common it was you know it, it fault one you couldn't detect really because um, the pills were placed in the half ball uh, with adhesive so you could get a pill stuck to the adhesive and then with bashing it then it come come loose from the adhesive and then became a rattler but you wouldn't have known it till it had been bashed with a tennis racket so you couldn't have detected it anyway like really but um, what were the other things that the, the factory made oh we made also that's why um, we made um, before my time we made crash helmets um, then we made um, squash balls that were the two main things we made real tennis balls I don't know if you've seen a real tennis ball but they're solid like a cricket ball um, then we used to make variation of those for um, high altitude, which basically were soft at manufacturing, but you took them up a mountain and they were correct, basically. Um, we used to do um, cricket bats, hockey sticks. Um, at one time we had R&D at Barnsley site, and we made table tennis bats, just in R&D, uh, plastic footballs. Um, Loads of stuff, basically. In sports line, you know, virtually everything were made at Marsley. Do you remember when the Queen and Prince Philip visited the factory? We, we'd like your memories and photos if you have them. So if you've got a photo of this uh, momentous occasion, please do get in touch on social media and we'll share them uh, to a screen in the exhibition. So this is a message to anyone out there. We are still collecting stories and images of Slazengers for the future and we'll hope to share them in the exhibition, but we'll also, more importantly, store them for future generations so that we know about the heritage, the great sporting heritage of our, of our borough. I'm Jean Brady. Uh, I worked at Slazinger's as a, bo- a tennis ball coverer. I started on shuttlecock, same as my friend here. And uh, where I was sat doing, you know, the feathers on the shuttlecock, well, the, the string that goes round them, sewing them together. I used to, uh, it was cellulose, I think it was called, and we used to have to glue them. But you haven't to have any windows in, as they call it. <laughs> if there was any windows in them shuttlecocks, out it went, you know. Yes. And where I was sat, you could see the men with this gadget between the knees and they were sewing leather, proper leather footballs by hand. You know, a, a needle went in that way, a needle went in that way and that pull from either way, wasn't it, like that. Oh, it was very interesting, very I was there when uh, Philip, Queen's husband, when he had a visit round factory. And then I remember Queen and Philip driving on Doncaster Road so the letters out of the factory to go and watch it, you know. And the, there were so many thousands and thousands of people, I don't know where they all came from, but the car, as they came down, just had enough room to get through the crowd, you know. And I, I could see a shot, peaches and cream. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, weren't she? Beautiful. And next up, we hear from Marion Farrar, who started working at the factory right back shortly after World War II. That's 1946. Uh, and back at that time, uh, the government was keen to promote leisure industries. 
uh, for people to heal, the nation to heal and recover after such hard times as war. Uh, so they were keen to move the factory to Barnsley after after the bullets destroyed the London factory. Uh, so we're going right back to the time when Marion started. And, and, and at, that, at that time, the factory was even making kit still for World War II because there was quite a lot of soldiers still out in the Far East. So here we go right back to 1946 with Marion. Well, I first started in Shucklecocks, and then when uh, that slowed down, some of us went on to covering, and I went into the test room. Um, and when I first started in the test room, there was um, five of us altogether. And then as it got busier, and the seasons started, and of course this was just after war, 1946, and then as the things started to pro progress, um, we moved into um, where the officers were, and um, and the the tennis balls came down in boxes of a dozen, and were up from the steamer, still damp, wet, and they couldn't understand at first why, when they had been weighed, two days after the balls were lighter, till they discovered that they were still wet when we were weighing them, and so they had to be stored in another room for two days till they dried out, and then they were put in a buffer to fluff all the the white uh, up and then they were weighed which was one of my jobs and then they went onto this machine which um, tested how hard or how soft they were and then from there they moved further down the room to um, the inspectors which clipped the little bits like you've got two pieces like that on a ball clip the ears off and look for any splits um, and from there, if they were good, they went to the bouncer, which was this thing that grabbed a ball, you pulled a string and it went so far up, bounced on a square of concrete, and we had to sit there, and it had to be between so many inches. If it was over, it was thrown out. If it was under, it was thrown out. And that was just about, that's it. So, I mean, how long did you work there? Oh, I worked in the test... From Slazingers, I worked there when I left school in 1946 till about 1956. So did you see a lot of change in that ten years? Well, in the test room, there were more girls... Of course, it got bigger and bigger. And more girls um, came to work in there. And from me starting in the first test room, as I said, there were only five or right, five of us, and then we moved into where the officers are, and, and there were um, there were about ten of us in there. And then from there, we moved over to what was used to be the ambulance room, which had more rooms and a few more girls. So did you test the balls that were going to Wimbledon? Oh, yes. All the big... Uh, all the, by this time, you see, there were more and more tournaments, because things were happening then and so we, we used to do a lot. There used to be a tournament at Scarborough and so because we had to work, <coughs> excuse me, we had to work over, we had to work Whitsuntide um, when we were on with tournament balls. We had to work from half past seven in the morning, of half an hour for our dinner, a break in the morning and a break in the afternoon and then work till seven o'clock at night. We had to work Saturday mornings and some Sunday mornings. So because we were so good 
and worked all these overtime, we got this day trip to Scarborough to the Scarborough tournament, which I don't think they have now. And we'll leave you with a message from Ian McMillan to see us on our way. One thing I remember is um, on the day John Lennon was shot, we were on we were on days, and we went in, and <laughs> we greeted by this bloke who said Paul McCartney's been shot. What Paul McCartney? Hell, fight. Paul McCartney's dead. So this rumour went around the factory. Paul McCartney's been shot. So they're all going, Paul McCartney's dead. Well, and then somebody else went John Lennon's been shot. Well, two of them. He's like a serial killer shooting all the Beatles. Ringo Starr had better watch out. Quick, someone hide Ringo. <laughs> That's exactly what he was. Hide but, George. That was a bit, because that was like the days before uh, the internet. So you kind of go, they're both dead. I remember going home and saying to my wife, I see Paul McCartney and John Lennon have both been shot. She went, no, only one of those is true. We'll be back next month with our next instalment of Barnsley Culture. So until next time, our Barnsley Heritage heroes, I'm off to the pub to play tennis. See you later.